0: Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this moment here where we can sit in your presence and gathered with your followers and and be in your presence. And so, God, we ask that your spirit will fall down on us and that we will hear your word, that it will breathe life into us that we will hear you speak, and that you will give us a, a clear path of how to move forward with what you have told us. So God, bless this time, give us ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, school is officially out yeah, some are excited, others could care less, uh, many were excited and they left town. And so uh, school is officially out, uh, summer is on its way, and this is a time where a lot of people want to get outdoors. They want to they go outside, go, go do something, get away. So they want to, to take a tough hike or maybe go for a long run. Uh, they've been cooped up all winter and they, they just want to get out. Uh, many of us would much prefer to stay indoors on the couch and watch people exert efforts outdoors uh, doing these kinds of things. And so let's watch more people do that. So, so take, for example, the popularity of the show uh, American Ninja Warrior. So in, in this show, people have to go through these different obstacles uh, to, to race the clock to get through all of the obstacles. The, the ultimate winner will get a million dollars. There's only two uh, over the course of the eight seasons that the show has gone that they've actually uh, won and been able to, to complete this. Um, if you're super ambitious type, there are others that you can do that aren't televised. You can just sign up for this torture. Um, you can you can sign up for something like the Tough Mudder, and so this is a race where you go through obstacles in mud, and you have to to get through all the obstacles in a in a matter of a certain amount of time, and really just finishing it is the goal. Uh, survive the race. So there's there's thousands of people who do the tough mudder races all over over the over the country and it's an exercise of muscle, it's an exercise of endurance, but it's also an exercise of teamwork and community, as you have to help one another actually get through the obstacles. There is the Spartan race. Uh, this uh, features two versions. There's the easier version that's a 3.2-mile race, and then there's the full 10-mile course that, that only 50 to 60% of people actually are able to complete uh, that, that start. And then there is the run for your life zombie run, where not only are you running through obstacles, but you're also being chased by people and clowns along the way, uh, trying to catch you before you're able to finish it. So not only are you climbing over the obstacles and going through the mud, but you're having to dodge these zombies and scary-looking clowns that are lurking nearby. So simply surviving these courses is the goal for most. There are some who are pretty serious about it and, and go out to win, but for most, it, it, it's just a test of your strength. It's a test of your endurance. Uh, you just want to survive. It's, it's training your mind over body. And it always helps to have a few good friends along the way as well. Most of us are not in the kind of physical shape to tackle one of these. Uh, this is something that you may enjoy watching, or maybe you don't want to watch it, but, but certainly being prepared for this physically, uh, not for most of us. But we're called to take on a very different kind of endurance race. Uh, we have challenges that we are up against, and this is discipleship. That for us to be a follower of Christ, that in and of itself is an endurance race. As we go forward and and try to be like Jesus, we have these hurdles to go over. We have these obstacles to get through. We have these challenges that we have to deal with. Last week, we talked about the living stones how we're built together as as living stones to be a part of the body of, of Christ. And as we are formed together to be the body of Christ, we have Jesus as the living stone. And this living stone, for those who believe in him, are the cornerstone that is the foundation for all things that we do. He is, is foundational for us. But for those who do not believe in him, last week's text talk, talked about Jesus being an obstacle. That this is the stone that people reject and it becomes a stumbling block. So today we're going to continue on in 2 Peter and it gives us a description of some of the obstacles that we face. Some of the challenges that we go through, some of the, the difficulties that we go through. And so for those who, who don't believe, for those who um, they, they continue to stumble through that, they, they look at these obstacles that are in our way. We're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So we have here this this pivotal passage in 1 Peter. Before we had, uh, in in previous weeks, we've been talking about these these different exhortations that that Peter gives us. Ways to live in a life, in a world that is hostile toward Christianity. And now in in this passage here, in verse 11, we begin to shift and and we introduce a series of other things that Peter is going to start addressing. He's talking about specific situations in which to apply the lifestyle that he's been talking about in the previous verses that we've gone through. And so over the next uh, several verses into chapter 3, he's going to talk about our relationship to the government. He's going to talk about our relationship, the, the slaves' relationship to their masters. He's going to talk about uh, relationships to non-Christian husbands. He's going to talk about uh, their relationships with wives and relationships with Christian family, the, the Christian family of God. And so he's giving us these very specific situations in which to apply this is the life that you're supposed to live. That As as Christians in a hostile world, as ones who are set apart, we need to abstain from our sinful desires. We need to live a certain way, and here are certain areas in which we need to apply that. And so, we're not going to have time to go through all of these. We're going to use one in, um, in particular. We're going to look at verse, jump to verse 18, and talk about this relationship between slaves and masters and kind of see how that might speak to us for today. Verse 18 Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So regardless of the type of master, submit to that master. doesn't really matter what their characteristics are, what their qualities are. The call is to submit. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So you should follow in his steps, because he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and lived for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls okay so remember Peter is talking to a, a group of Christians or groups of Christians across Asia, Asia Minor who are in a in a season in a place of persecution they they are outsiders they're aliens they are exiles they they don't have full citizenship rights where they're at and they're being abused and they, they're suffering not only because of their their condition in life, not, be, not only because of their status, but also because of their faith in Jesus. They're being persecuted. So this is who Peter is writing to as he talks to them. Many that he is writing to were probably actually slaves. And so as he's giving this, this exhortation about being submissive to, to your master, this is a very real tangible thing for the people sitting there listening to this letter being read. Now, it's important for us to to recognize that slavery in the the Roman and Greek worlds was very different than the slavery that, that we know in the U.S. And so the history of slavery here and the history of slavery there were were very different things. Um, Slavery in that time was a very diverse institution. It was applied in different ways in different different places. Um, But really their entire economic system was tied to slavery. Uh, As many as one-third of the city's population was enslaved. So, th- so think about our economy here in a city, and to think one-third of that population is who Peter is talking to. One-third of the population are in slavery. But it, slavery was often not a permanent condition. It was something that you could get out of. It was something that you could, could uh, move on to. There was a, a path of freedom. So if you had good behavior or if you were able to to save up enough, you could become a Roman citizen. So so slavery actually became a pathway to Roman citizenship for outsiders. And so for some, depending on the condition of life that they were in, it was actually desirable to enter into slavery to be able to gain Roman citizenship. Uh, So they weren't just manual labors. They weren't like what we think about in in the movies and, and shows like Roots. It was something different. Doctors and teachers and writers and accountants and bailiffs and secretaries and sea captains were all slaves, or slaves could fulfill those roles. And so slaves were the central labor force of the Roman economy. And there was status that could come with slaves. So depending on the status of your master, you could have status and power connected to them. And so there was this hierarchy as well. And so we have this newfound Christian faith, this newfound Christian community existing within this culture. This culture that that is dependent upon slavery for it to exist. And so they're being encouraged to be good, to be obedient, to be submissive, to to be good workers, to do what they are supposed to do. They're, They're called to testify to God's grace even in the midst of this slavery. They're not to give any kind of reason to slander the name of Christ or to slander the Christian movement. And so when the Roman world encountered the Christians, when they came up against these Christian communities, if if they were not going along with the norm, they were obstacles to be run over. They were obstacles to be removed. They weren't something to be understood. It wasn't that we were going to have a conversation about it and try to figure out how to get along. They're obstacles to be removed. Larry, um, Larry Hurtado is a Christian scholar who wrote the book Destroyer of the Gods that looks at the early Christian distinctives in the Roman world. And here are some reasons that he lists why the Christians were different, where they were, why they were odd, why they stood out from the larger Roman culture. The first one was this, that Christians refused to worship the Roman gods. Now that's not a surprise there. But the Roman gods, they believed... The, the pagans, the non-Christians, believed that their entire social and political order was dependent upon the favor of the gods. And so to not worship those gods was to compromise the entire social and political structure and order. That they are now risking everybody because they're not worshiping the Roman gods. And additionally, Christians had no images, they had no altars, they had no sacrifices, no temples, no shrines that connected them to their religion. So many Romans believed that it wasn't even a religion because it didn't have any of the characteristics of what they believed religion was to be. And so many actually thought they were just atheists because they didn't have these religious practices. But then they also thought and saw them as bookish people. These were people who would read sacred texts in their gatherings, which was not common for Roman worship. And it included men and women of different social classes. It included slaves, and they all gathered together as equals to read these sacred texts. This is really weird. This is odd. This causes them to stand out. And then the Christians also were challenging social behaviors where, where the, in the Roman world you would expose an unwanted baby to the elements to, to allow them to die. But Christians would, would raise up their own ch- children. They would adopt other children. They, they rejected that notion and that way of living. And so they also insisted that both women and men needed to be faithful to one another, not just requiring the women to be faithful and let the men do whatever they want to do. Both had to be faithful to a single, monogamous, lifelong marriage. And so you can see how the Christians are forming this community that is totally at odds with the culture around them that this is this is countercultural to to what is existing beyond be, around them and so so peter is addressing how to live in that environment so if you find yourself in this slave master relationship if you are if you are creating an environment where where the christians are standing out as disrespectful to the institution then it's going to be an obstacle by the romans to remove and so being Christian in the Roman world was, was not easy. It, it meant running a tough course that might have gotten a little muddy and bloody. <laughs> you have to run this course. And so we certainly have a different environment now than they did then, but there are certainly similarities as we think about being countercultural in a, in a world that, that does not embrace the Christian view of things. We're in a culture that pushes the worship of gods, of consumerism, of wealth, of sex and violence. We have these idols that we set up, the things that, that we worship ahead of who God is and what he calls us to be. But even in the midst of this difficult environment, the, the early church grew at a phenomenal rate. That, that we see this explosion of Christianity even in the midst of a harsh environment, and it wasn't because they had excellent, attractive worship services. It's not because they had really outstanding preachers. It wasn't because they had church buildings. It wasn't because of any of the things that we might raise and value today. They were, they were suffering, and it was in that suffering that they, they, they patiently endured that persecution. Persecution. And so unbelievers would observe what was going on. They didn't observe this growing community, this, this, this group that was different, that was, was set apart, and they would, they would question that, and they would inquire about that and, and want to engage in what was going on there. And so how Christians dealt with suffering, how Christians dealt with oppression, how Christians dealt with being a slave all had an impact on those who were seeing their lives. And so for Peter, we see this finish line, this goal of the Christian life to be conducting an honorable life. That in the midst of whatever suffering, whatever oppression, whatever you're going through, in the midst of that, you live an honorable life among non-believers. That that a non-believer should never look at your life And have that discredit God. That that, that as an an unbeliever looks at your life, they see God working through you. That his grace is raised up and glorified through that. that. That as we live as good citizens, as we endure suffering for our faith, that was the key to attracting others to Jesus. To introducing them to Jesus. And so when you think about joining some sort of endurance race, if, if you have run a, a marathon or a half marathon, or maybe you're crazy and you did a Tough mutter or what, whatever, as you think about going through one of those endurance races, you have to have motivation. That's the only way you're going to get through it. And people have lots of different motivations. Some of it is just a health thing. They, 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 they want to be healthy. Some of them want to test themselves. Some of them are trying to raise money. Now, there's, there's lots of races where you get sponsors and, and you're able to raise money and raise awareness for, for things like cancer. Maybe you're supporting a friend and you want to encourage them along the way. We have these different motivations for why we engage in this endurance. So, so what is our motivation for being a disciple? As, as Peter is laying this out, why should we live honorable lives among non-Christians? Why should we go through this tough process? he says because it is commendable and when he uses a phrase like commendable commendable it's a phrase that is saying it's pleasing to god that we we enter into this race for the pleasure of god That we live lives that that are worthy of our calling. We live lives that are set apart. We live lives that that even in the midst of suffering and in the midst of hardship, we, we do the right thing because that is pleasing to God. And that becomes our motivation for this endurance race that we're on. It's a tough race to run. But Peter reminds us that Jesus himself ran the race. That, that Jesus is the example for us. He's our coach. He's our model. He's the one who has gone through it. And he lists out all these reasons why, or all, this, all that Jesus went through that gives us an example for running the race. Jesus endured similar things. He was tempted to follow the norms of the world. He was tempted, but he committed no sin. He spoke the truth rather than bend the truth for the ears of the culture. He did not use violence whenever he was abused and when he was physically and verbally attacked. He did not use threats when he was suffering. He didn't threaten other people. He, he relied on God's justice to prevail and make things right. And so Jesus shows us what it is to live a life of suffering, to live a life with the world opposing you, that you, you live lives where you do not commit sin, you speak the truth, you don't use violence, you don't use threats. This is the model that Jesus gives us for how to run the race. And so for us, we're, we're obviously not dealing with a world where we are having to submit to masters in slavery. And none of us, although you may feel this way about your boss, we are not slaves. Some of us have lousy bosses, but you're not enslaved like we're talking about here. So how do we, how do we apply this? How do we, we think about what this means for us? What does it look like? Peter's urging slaves to submit, to submit to their masters so that they can testify to the grace of God. That they're setting up a model of who God is and showing the world God. And so does that still apply to us today? Maybe, maybe the most applicable way we can look at this is to look at um, the lens of employment. Or for those who are students, uh, being a student and looking at your teachers or your professors... But as as we think about who we are as employees, how do we apply to this? How do we conduct ourselves as Christians in the workplace, as employees who want to testify to the grace of God? Howard Marshall uh, wrote a commentary on 1 Peter, and he suggests several guidelines for what this could look like. What does it look like to be a Christian in a workplace? First of all, all of our social relationships should find our behavior, find a behavior that is driven by a desire for God's will. So, as we look at the relationships that we find ourselves in, our behavior is defined by the will of God. Okay, so do what God says. That's pretty basic. But if you do that, that is going to lead us to, to how we conduct ourselves. And so, our conduct should be consistent with the obligations we assume in our relationship to that person and job. So when you go into employment for someone, they are your boss, there are certain obligations that are assumed in that relationship. They are paying you to do something and to show up at a certain time and to behave a certain way. So those obligations need to be fulfilled. Third, our conduct... So our conduct needs to be consistent with the obligations. The next thing is our conduct ought to be determined by that relationship, not by what we think about the traits of that person. So your boss is your boss, and your conduct should reflect that person's position, not what you personally think about their traits as an employer. That's the tough one, right? So regardless of what you think about your boss, they're your boss and you should conduct yourself appropriately. When we disregard our relational contract uh, with its obligations, we do a disservice to the gospel. When we are not doing those things, when we're not conducting ourselves in a way that is reflective of the relationship, When we're not conducting ourselves in a way of the position that we're given or the obligations that we have, that's a disservice to the gospel. You're hired to do a certain job. You have a boss, regardless of whether or not they're a good person or a bad person, or you like them or don't like them. To conduct yourself any other way is a disservice to the gospel. And then finally, if we suffer because of that that suffering is commendable as a Christian. If you're suffering for doing the job you were hired to do, and you're suffering for treating your boss the way we're supposed to be treating them, if you suffer because of that, that's commendable. That is pleasing to God. It's not unchristian to suffer. And so as we think about the workplace environment, as we think about what it means to be an employee, what does it mean to submit to our master? We need to be conducting ourselves in a way that meets the obligations that we have with them and and conduct ourselves in a way that that applies regardless of whether or not they're nice, (laughs) whether or not we think they're good. And so Jesus gives us this example of of how to live. Peter walks us through what this looks like in this particular context of slaves and masters. He gives us several others along the way. He gives us what it looks like to to relate to our government. We just skipped over that one. He gives us what it looks like to relate to a a non-believing spouse, uh, relationships between husbands and wives, relationships as a church. And so Jesus sets us out on this journey. He says, if you, want to, if you want to be a disciple, it's going to be tough. It's going to take some training. It's going to take some endurance. It's going to take some, some working through. But join this race. And what Jesus does is, is he gives us this incredible example for what we are to be. That even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of a a hostile world, this is how to behave. But the great thing is, Jesus doesn't say, okay, go run the race, I'll see you later. Jesus runs the race with us. He is a shepherd. He is an overseer. Some versions call it a guardian of our souls. That Jesus is the guardian of our souls. So as we're we're going out into this endurance race, we have the best possible trainer. We have the best possible coach to walk us through this, to help us, to prepare us, to get us ready for this race. And then he's there all along the way, being the guardian of our soul. So as we get into a world that is increasingly hostile towards Christians— It takes some guts. It takes guts to enter into this race. When you sign up for the Tough Mudder, when you you sign up for the zombie run, just signing up to stand at the starting line takes some courage or maybe some other things. (laughs) Stupidity, maybe. The analogy breaks down then. But when we sign up for these things, it takes some guts. When you sign up to be a follower of Jesus in this world as it is today, that takes courage. And so if you were if you're just kind of coasting through your discipleship and it's not tough, you need to check yourself. And, and and check how your life is going. Is, are, are you living the life that is really set apart like God has designed it to be? Are you living lives that, that are holy and pleasing and, and set apart? Because if you are, discipleship is going to be tough. It's going to take some endurance. But we have the guardian of the soul that is with us. And he makes that burden light, and he makes that burden easy. And he says, let's run it. Let's run it. And so he urges us to follow his example, to to lean into the hard stuff, lean into the hard decisions, lean into the places where we need courage, and keep our eyes on the finish line. Get through the race. And he gives us a community of people that will run that with us. We'll help each other over that muddy fence. We'll help each other climb that rope. We'll help each other through those obstacles and and through the, 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 the difficulties that we encounter along the way. He gives us a community to do that in. And so will you run the race? Will you sign up for this challenge of discipleship? Let's stand together.